Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker, and on today's special podcast, we continue our review of the Thomas Dimitrov years with the Atlanta Falcons. To help me with this task, I've invited a special guest to join me on each of these episodes as we break down the trades, free agent signings, and draft picks made in the Dimitrov era. My guest today is Andrew Hirsch, who used to write for the Falcoholic and, of course, the Atlanta Falcons. Andrew, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, David. Always love uh, chatting football with you guys at the Falcoholic. Yeah, been really looking forward to this. We, we've had some scheduling uh, snafus, but finally getting it done. Uh, and today, we're—I'm I, apologizing to you ahead of time, Andrew. Um, we are diving into the 2013 <laughs> season. The uh, and this is actually interesting. It's the first losing season under Mike Smith. I think people forget that uh, 2008 through 2012, five straight winning seasons for the Falcons. This is the first time uh, he failed to finish eight and eight or better. So a little bit of a precursor of what the uh, season was like coming into this one. Obviously 2012 ended in heartbreak with the Falcons losing that devastating loss to the 49ers in the NFC championship game. Roddy White was interfered with. You cannot convince me otherwise. Uh, And obviously the Falcons had a lot of contracts that they signed in 2012. Some of the guys that they had uh, drafted, such as Corey Bierman, Thomas DeCoud. But the big contract coming into this season would ultimately be Matt Ryan. Everyone knew he was going to get a deal. Everyone knew it was going to be a big deal at the time. And, of course, that did get done. So we're going to start our conversation talking about free agency. And I want to start right there. I want to start with the Matt Ryan contract before we talk about the guys that left and some of the guys we brought in. Um, Obviously, paying a quarterback, paying a franchise quarterback – a quarterback that had literally just taken you to the NFC Championship game uh, is a big deal. And on July 25th of 2013, uh, the Falcons and Matt Ryan agreed to a new five-year extension worth $103.75 million with $59 million guaranteed. Um, obviously, that money now seems small compared to the contracts that guys like uh, Deshaun Watson uh, and Patrick Mahomes have gotten. But right. At the time, it was a record-breaking contract. Um, so just thinking back on that time, thinking about you know Matt Ryan, really sort of early in his career, even still, uh, what are your thoughts on the Falcons and that first contract with their franchise quarterback? Well, you know, coming off the year where you know Matt did everything that you would really expect from him to get a team to the Super Bowl and you know ultimately win a championship, uh, he you know pulled his own weight and then some in 2012 and uh this was definitely a contract that was um well deserved and i remember at the time you know this was really around the time when matt was blossoming into that 
veteran leader. Um, mm-hmm. He's a very consistent quarterback from from day one in two thousand eight when he when he was a rookie. But I I really felt like in that two thousand twelve season was when he kind of took an, the next step and became that true you know rock solid franchise quarterback. Um, and you know thinking back to the last franchise quarterback the Falcons had with 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 Mike Vick, I remember at the time when he made when he was signed to that gigantic deal. I think it was around. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think also close to a hundred million. Yeah, ten years, hundred million dollars. No longer, yeah, ten years. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time it was it was uh, so nice to have that you know quote unquote superstar locked in being the face of the Falcons. Of course, it didn't work out so well um, for Vic in, in the end there with the Falcons. But uh, you know, for for folks like us who've watched the team for a long time, to just be able to lock in that franchise player at the most important position in the game. Uh, is so important. I know it was. It felt like a done deal way before that. You know, the pen hit the paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, I recall at the time when 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 news broke that you know they locked him in long term. That you know Matt released a statement uh, saying that you know he really felt like this was his home. Uh, just to have that security at that position was uh, a really great feeling as a fan, as a supporter of the team. Um, and I think also, you know, considering what uh, occurred, you know, right before the Falcons drafted Matt Ryan with with Vic, um, you know, I think f- for me being a, you know, a few years younger than you, and we'll say, you know, what, two or three years younger than you, you know, Vic, Vic was my... 70, 80, yeah. It was, you know, I wore number seven on the Little League fields. Uh, for, you know, for <laughs> and so I think, you know, when it came to really locking down Matt Ryan as that franchise QB... For me, as a as a, as a lifelong supporter, young at the time, lifelong supporter of the team, um, it was just such a great feeling to really have that franchise quarterback. You know, Vic Vic had those those years in the early two thousands, and then he his play kind of fell off a bit before he, um, you know, before everything really fell apart. And with Ryan, you just had the sense that he was that rock that the yeah. Falcons just have not really had since you know Steve Barkowski. Um, you know, the days before I was, uh, around and, uh, <laughs> so, you know, at, at the time, obviously a hundred plus million people were deba- still, I think that was around the time people were starting the debate over the E word with Matt Ryan. Um, yeah. and people uh, thought maybe they, they paid him a little bit too much, but I thought it was just right. It was earned. And, uh, that was, you know, a, a great moment. Unfortunately, a highlight of the season. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, As we'll I, get I, into. I remember that, you know, at the Falcoholic, the Falcoholic team, just universally being very excited. And, uh, you know, that's worked out quite well for the team. So it, it also served as an opportunity to remind Dave that he was not a fan of drafting Matt Ryan in 2008. But anytime we, we remind him of that um, and just pull up, uh, you know, Glenn Dorsey's football reference page and. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and give him a hard time on that. It's always, always a good decision. Always, always. Uh, and you know, as you mentioned, I think many people felt like the, the deal was a done deal and rightfully so. 2012 was the culmination of what many fans had thought about Matt Ryan uh, before that point, that he should be leading a pass first offense instead of. Yes. Uh, the one that had been led by Michael Turner since you know he came into the league in 2008. And obviously, 2012, he put up his best numbers ever. He won his first playoff game, the last second victory over uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and of course, took them 
uh, within one play of the Super Bowl. So uh, with that, I want to talk about some of the guys in free agency that the Falcons ultimately walked away from. There are a lot of names on this list, um, but I want to focus on some of the, the key ones because I feel like it, we for we remember all the injuries in 2013, yeah. but in reality, the Falcons, you know, as part of having to pay Matt Ryan, which again is the right move, they did have to say goodbye to a lot of guys. Um, one of the guys uh, that I just mentioned, running back Michael Turner, I, I think it's fair to say at the time uh, the wheels had fallen off. Uh, Mike Malarkey had run him into the ground uh, from 2008 through 2011. Uh, and then even in 2012, he just wasn't the same running back he was uh, before. And it, it made sense to move on from him. Um, but I, the the next two names I want to pair up with him so we can talk about them sort of as a trio. Um, tackle Tyson Claybo, who was on the right side. Uh, he was a, a solid veteran on the off- offensive line for several years. Uh, and then, of course, I think the one that many fans remember, uh, defensive end John Abraham. And I, I would say... With Turner, we have had some good backs that have come through uh, since he has been gone. Um, with Tyson Claybo, we've actually had some, you know, some good fortune. Uh, there were some bumps in the road, um, but obviously, with John Abraham, I think even still today, uh, eight years later, we still haven't found the replacement for him. Um, so, what are your thoughts on these three guys, their departure, and what it meant ultimately for this team, and, and whether or not you think the, the departures for each of these guys made sense? within the context of that 2013 season. Right. Well, I'll start with Turner and, you know, not to take anything away from what Matt did during his first few years in the league, but I think his start would have been very different if he did not have a truly dominant running back um, to lean on. And when you look at, uh, you know, Matt's trajectory as a quarterback, you know, 2012, that was when Turner, you know, his numbers really started to fall. He, you know, a yeah. lot of, you know, a, a lot of really short gains and very frustrating uh, situations. Um, and, you know, that was when Matt really kind of uh, stepped up to another level when they really needed him to. Uh, losing Turner, was, it, it, it stunk to see him leave after that 2012 or I guess 2013 NFC Championship game against San Francisco. Uh, to go off on such a low note because he was such an instrumental part of that organization's revival. Um, I think it's a little unfortunate how like we don't really talk about him that much anymore. And by we, yeah. I'm just like Falcons fans in, in in general. Just you look back on the, you watch some of those games from 2008, 2009, 2010. Oh man, my goodness, he was a dominant, dominant running back. Yep. Um, you know, losing him stung, but I think it was the right move at the time. Uh, he just, you know, he didn't have enough gas in the tank to warrant, you know, a, a, a real deal uh, moving forward. Uh, Claybo, you know, he was another one that I think at the time I wasn't particularly upset about, but I, you know, we'll talk about this more later on, I'm sure. But just considering what happens to that line, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the 2013 season, you could definitely feel that his presence was missed. And John Abraham, man, I. I we we were spoiled. <laughs> we, were spoiled. <laughs> we were. I'm just such a singularly dominant guy off of the edge. Um, you know, for me as as a fan, you know, I you know Patrick Kearney was one of my favorites, um, and uh, there was a couple of years in there where we didn't have that dominant guy off the edge. But um, I kind of grew accustomed to you know for most seasons for a while to having that 
double digit sack guy you can really lean on defensively, especially in third downs. And I tried to talk myself into liking the OCU Manura signing and, and understanding that, <laughs> you know, dealing with some injury problems and of course getting up there in age. Um, you know, this is an unfortunate, fortunate situation for the Falcons, not just cap wise, but just some of these players were reaching the points in their career where big contracts didn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Abraham had more gas in the tank, but I, I when I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think when, when you're looking at, you know, matters from Dimitrov's perspective and you know, you just gave Matt Ryan a huge contract, you know, you've got a lot of more, a lot more money to shell out. Um, and then you look at Abraham and where he was, uh, I believe he, he suffered a, an injury in the NFC championship game. Um, my memory actually was, it was the, uh, last pre or it was the last game of the season before the playoffs where that's he right. hurt his ankle, that's where right. Mike Smith was playing them, uh, pointlessly and oh, he got injured right. in the second that's half right. of that game. Yep. Yeah. I remember that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just think it's, uh, man, it, it was just, uh, from a financial standpoint, from the standpoint of having some of your really pivotal players you know, hitting the end of their careers, it's really hurt to see Abraham go, but you know, at the time I really couldn't, uh, couldn't fault Dimitrov for not shelling out a lot of money. I know he didn't get a massive deal, uh, afterwards, but, um, he was by no means a long-term solution. And, uh, and that it was just a bummer of a situation. I just felt like there was no real win there yeah. when it came to the Abraham's, you know, Abraham signing. Um, yeah, there were a lot of fans, I think, at the time that criticized the cut. Um, and it, But Abraham was in his mid-30s. I, I don't, I, if we look back, most pass rushers into their mid-30s, the productivity usually drops pretty pretty drastically. Right. He would go on to have, I think, two more really good seasons or yeah. solid seasons at minimum. Um, but yeah, it felt like a move at the time that it made sense, but it sucked. Like you said, right. <laughs> it was just you know like watching a good player retire. Um, all right, three other names I want to touch on that uh, ultimately departed, uh, left the team. Center Todd McClure, he ended up retiring. I remember at the time, and, and I'll let you touch on this, that it was less about him choosing to retire and more about the Falcons saying, yeah, we're moving on from you. Yeah. There won't be another contract. Uh, and then he just decided to hang up the cleats in the, you know, also being in his mid-30s. Uh, and then two cornerbacks, obviously Brent Grimes, who suffered – the Achilles tear at the beginning of the 2012 season. Uh, they did not try to give him a new contract. He was on the franchise tag in 2012, so he was allowed to become a free agent. And then uh, the guy who arguably led to Brent Grimes not getting a long-term deal, cornerback Dante Robinson, yeah. uh, who got the big contract several years prior, he was also let go. So Dante Robinson, Brent Grimes, Todd McClure, uh, what are your thoughts on these three guys and the impact it would ultimately have not not just on the roster, but you know, I think what the Falcons would do in this draft class was a direct implication of these guys being, you know, moving on from some of these guys. Yeah, especially the corners, right? Um Yeah. And I think that was something that they obviously made a concerted effort to address. Ooh, uh losing McClure. Uh an- another situation <laughs> again where you look at his age, uh, you know, I think a, a one-year contract might've, might've made sense, uh, at the time. Um, he was one of those guys that, uh, he almost felt invisible in a good way, if that makes sense. 
yeah. um, out on the field. Like when you didn't really think about him that much, unless you're breaking down tape, uh, that meant he was doing a really fantastic job. Um, you know, I think with, with losing Claybo, he felt a lot more replaceable, even with, um, even with McClure being at such an advanced age, um, just being such a pivotal, pivotal member of that offensive line for so many years, just such a mainstay through so much change, so, so much churn with the organization. He was just such mm-hmm. a constant, um, and to lose him, uh, you know, I think following the draft, following free agency, I remember looking back on, you know, the Falcons decision to move on from McLaurin felt really uneasy. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you, you felt the same. Um, but no, I, yeah. think, I think, I think for me, you also look at those intangibles, the veteran presence that he, that he brought those things you can't quite quantify. Um, and, you know, kind of like Michael Turner, like we don't really talk about him that much anymore. And, you know, think about how pivotal he was for Matt Ryan's early years to have such a rock solid center uh, that was there every single day. Um, and it would be several years before they would really yeah. replace him, you know, 2016 right. before you would bring in Alex Mack. That's right. Uh, man, and that was a rough stretch between those two guys. Uh, we've been very lucky to have both of them for for extended stretches, but boy, that was that was rough for a while. Yeah, Mike Person and James Stone, and of course, uh, the ultimately the guy who I think you know the Falcons were banking on replacing McClure long term, Peter Cons, uh, who obviously flamed out. Um, some of the other guys that ended up leaving the team, uh, wide receiver, special teamer, Kerry Meyer, uh, wide receiver, Drew Davis, the, the Drew Davis, who was always going to bust out, uh, <laughs> tight end Chase Kaufman and safety Shan Schillinger. Uh, so obviously a lot of names, a lot of big names on this list that ultimately would not be on the team in 2013. Uh, and again, for, for some good reasons, some were uh, a little bit less than others. I want to talk about the guys who got new deals. So players who got extensions with the Falcons. Uh, there's one infamous name. I want to save him for last okay. so we can have a little bit right. of fun with that. Good. Um, safety William Moore got a five-year deal worth $30 million. Um, Guard Garrett Reynolds, uh, two-year deal worth $2.6 million. Um, running back Anton Smith, two-year deal worth $1.4 million. Uh, veteran tight end Tony Gonzalez, uh, two-year deal worth twelve point six, and I, I think with with Tony, the the interesting thing there was it, they knew it wasn't going to be a two-year deal; it was a one-year deal, and this allowed them to pay him enough money and then uh, spread the cap hit across two years instead of taking it all in uh, in the two thousand thirteen season. Uh, so of those guys, you know, William Moore, Garrett Reynolds, Gonzalez, uh, Anton Smith, what are your thoughts on? extending these particular players and bringing them back for the 2013 season. Yeah. I'll start with uh, just going from positive to less positive. I'm, <laughs> I've always been such a huge Anton Smith fan. Um, just the way I love the way he plays the game. Um, I'm covering the team when I was you know, working for Atlanta Falcons.com. He was such a um, great guy to talk to as you know, from a reporter standpoint, just a great attitude um, and just an explosive playmaker. And mm-hmm. he, he came in at a time when you know, we, we lost those explosive plays from the running back position where you, we got kind of spoiled with, with Michael Turner um, 
you know, kind of hitting that that running back wall. And you know, I, I can't remember the specific years when when Anton would would really be breaking out. I think it was 2013 when he started to have those gigantic touchdowns. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, what do you have? Like he's averaging like 20 yards per carry. <laughs> yeah. Like five carries and four touchdowns. Right, it was insane. Right. Um, just, we talk about bang for your buck. I mean, he was just such a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Um, just one of those depth guys you love to have around the kind of depth guy that, you know, you, you in today's NFL that I feel like you kind of need, you really can't lean on running backs the way they used to and to have a game changer like him to come in on third downs to create those explosive plays. Uh, he was just uh, a really great addition to the team. Uh, I was very sad that his his time in Atlanta came uh, came to a bit of an abrupt end, but that's for maybe for a different episode uh, later, later on. Uh, the William Moore contract, I, I, I remember feeling very uh, feeling very glad that he was uh, going to stick around. I think he was a great locker room presence and obviously a hard hitting safety. I was a bit concerned about the term, uh, just given the way that he plays the game, or played the game, um, just did not feel like uh, five years that he would be, you know, towards the end of that contract that he would be playing at the level that you would hope. Um, but was definitely glad to have him around, um, you know, moving forward, especially losing those veterans in the secondary uh, moving yeah. the backs to have, uh, you know, that uh, really physical presence in the box um, and being a kind of a veteran leader in that secondary group uh, was great to keep him around there. Um, you know, Tony Gonzalez, that was just, uh, those were one of the, one of, for me, one of the first like really big uh, Twitter blow up days that I remember when um, the signing, when, when people were pleading with him to come back for one more season, one more season, when the news finally broke, just, uh, you know, after a, a really tough end of the season in 2012, um, the Matt Ryan contract, like we like we said, was more or less expected. We really had no idea if Tony was going to come back. I know he was thinking long and hard about it. And uh, I mean, we knew even though uh, he was up there in age, he's really not human. So, I mean, I feel like he could probably <laughs> up today and be better than probably most tight ends in the league. Um and we just kind of knew, like, as long as he was going to be healthy, that he was going to be one of the best tight ends in the league. And uh, man, was he needed needed this season with the with the injuries that came at the wide receiver position. Um, but there was that was just such a nice nice moment of the off season. I think that you know Falcons fans kind of needed from a uh, just a morale standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. Uh, you know, kind of the build up to that to that signing, and then what, what it was like when the news broke. Um, but you, know, you talk about a big a, relief. You talk about a veteran leader that you you really want to have around. Uh, you know, him coming off, you know, getting that first career playoff win uh, for a guy. It's kind of hard to imagine uh, that someone as prolific as him had to wait that long just to win a single playoff game, and then to come up short of the Super Bowl by just a few yards on that awful play, uh, you just, Heartbreaking. Really, you just, you just really didn't want that career to end that way. Um, you also didn't want it to end the way that it, it did. But, um, I know at the time, you know, there was a, there was a really, there was a lot of confidence that he would continue to perform, perform at a high level. And I think, you know, considering his own, the own narrative of his career, he just did not want to end on that note, the NFC championship game. He just, he deserved better. He deserved a lot better than that. Um, yeah. And it's unfortunate that, you know, things 
went even further south uh, in 2013. Um, but I think everyone, considering the fact that it was it really was not an expensive contract uh, either, um, it just felt like such a win in from every perspective. Yep, absolutely. Um, so with that, Falcons did end up bringing in some additional bodies, and oh god, uh, this this is a bit painful. Um, I'll, I'll point out two of the guys who came in. Uh, wide receiver Brian Rubisky never did anything with the team. Uh, Patrick DeMarco was brought in. Um, I think they actually ended up cutting him this year. He was brought back again in 2014. Obviously, yeah. you know, made a bigger splash uh, into 2015, 2016 in his time with the Falcons. But the three names we need to talk about. Um, number one, running back Steven Jackson yeah. came in three-year deal worth $12 million. Uh, number two, defensive end O.C. Umanyora. Two-year deal worth eight point five million, and finally, offensive tackle Jeremy Trueblood, whose name unfortunately would be heard a lot more in two thousand thirteen, even though he was given uh, essentially a vet minimum contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Falcons made uh, at the time what was a, a relatively big move because Stephen Jackson had spent his entire career with the Rams. Uh, he was a highly productive running back. Uh, his entire career, you know, was a great receiver out of the backfield, uh, really a physical runner, someone that I think Atlanta fans were excited about. OC, I think he had, you know, a decent run with the Giants. He was a good player mm-hmm. uh, and the contract wasn't, you know, too lucrative, you know, a little over $4 million per year. Um, and then Trueblood, I think, you know, it, it made sense to have uh, a veteran uh, backup for tackle since Claybo was gone. So your thoughts on these signings, the – whether they made sense at the time and, and how they look now in hindsight. Well, Steven Jackson, it's, it's tough because he was coming off of a pretty good year uh, with the Rams. So you, it's, it's, you really can't, it's, it's tough to compare uh, Steven Jackson at that stage of his career with, you know, where Michael Turner was. I think Jackson had over a thousand yards uh, the season before, uh, you know, was efficient with his carries and, you know, obviously things didn't work out. I, I was, I was feeling cautiously optimistic about him i think ultimately the offensive line uh you know did him no favors um i do wonder if his falcons career would have gone differently if he played behind a a more competent offensive line um but it just seemed like he you know he just kind of hit that wall right that we saw from turner the year before um the three years i i I did not expect him to make it three. I was really kind of hoping that uh, with the Falcons coming off of a loss in the NFC championship game that, that, you know, he and Gonzalez would step in for an extra year and help them, you know, kind of get over the hump uh, for the next season Um, with, with, with Steven Jackson though. I mean, he was a very strong veteran presence and I I don't want to overvalue veteran presence or undervalue it. Um, you know, my own personal opinions on on how to weigh that have, have changed over the years back and forth. Um, but to have, you know, you lost a lot of veterans in, at the end of the 20, 2012 season and to bring in guys like, you know, bring back Tony Gonzalez, to bring in Steven Jackson, bring in Osin Yuminura, guys who have been around, guys who have been successful, guys who have played for winning organizations. Um, you know, you can't discount that. And so, yeah, I think overall I felt cautiously optimistic. Yuminura... We all knew he was going to be a downgrade, right? From from uh, you know from Abraham, he was fine. I think in twenty thirteen, like okay, 
um, you know, that that's he, a fair assessment. I think <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, he, he got it, you know, it's when he gets eight sacks, some, something around there. Um, not particularly helpful in the, you know, in, in, you know, he wasn't a guy you'd want out there in all three downs by any means. Um, but he wasn't making a ton of money. Uh, yeah. I think, I think when, when you look at where Dimitrov was, where you think, okay, you know, Abraham's older, he's coming off of, he's, he's coming off of an injury. Uh, to get a veteran like Yuminura, it's a maybe like a good plan B minus, good plans. Right. You know, I mean, like it, it was not ideal. Uh, and you look at the draft and the way that the Falcons addressed to the secondary, um, and you consider the options that were on the table with with them, you know, being a big cash draft. I think it was, you know, ultimately at the time, given the situation the Falcons were in, given the money that Yuminura was given, and given you know the performance. He was coming off of his last few years with the Giants. It made it made sense. Um, yeah. Obviously, you want uh, more talent on the other side of the line, right? You know, you and Yora didn't get a whole lot of help. Um, you know, at the time, it was fine. Uh, I was okay with it. I don't know. What about you? Uh, I liked OC, and I, I felt like for a veteran that had you know productivity uh, in his career, it, it was a sensible signing. Again, not a ton of money, so I, I think it was a sensible, affordable move. And, and with the Matt Ryan contract, with the other uh, deals that they handed out, it, it probably made sense in that context. Um, I did miss one name, and we're going to finish off the free agent discussion with this guy. Yeah, um, This feels quite appropriate. And that was the one player that got one of the biggest extensions, actually the biggest extension outside of Matt Ryan, uh, and that was left tackle – Sam Baker, who got a six-year deal worth $41.5 million. And obviously, uh, we know how that turned out. And here's the thing. Even before that, you know, obviously, left tackles in this league, they get paid a lot of money. Uh, the, the contract itself, I don't think, was the biggest red, you know, red mark on this. It was the fact that Baker had only played 16 games twice in his career to that point. 2010 and 2012. Uh, so that means in 2008, 2009, 2011, you know, the other three seasons, he, he failed to play all 16 games. Um, and we knew that he had a little bit of an you know, injury history and, and struggled with that. And honestly, you know, he was sort of mediocre. He wasn't a good tackle. I think he was sort of middle of the roads. So he got the job done well enough. He wasn't awful. Um, but he was sort of just, eh. and yet he got this big deal, uh, and ultimately ended up playing just four games in 2013, which I think is what stings even more. So, uh, you could argue that Baker getting that big contract ultimately led to the Falcons having to make a decision to let Abraham go and go with someone like Uminor instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts, uh, as we close out the discussion on free agency, about that Sam Baker deal and what that meant to the Falcons. Yeah, it's so easy to you know play Monday morning quarterback here um, and, and rail against bad signings, but this was just one where you know it just never felt like the right move, especially like we've mentioned, considering where they were in terms of the salary cap. Um, you know, it was it was a move based on the you know the the position, right? You know, that you needed to shore up left tackle and uh, he was a homegrown guy being drafted 
you know, in that same first round as Matt Ryan, um, you'd like to think that if he remained healthy, he would have lived up to or come close to uh, the expectations that were bestowed upon him as a first round pick uh, coming in to protect, you know, the new face of the franchise. Um, You know, but even when he was healthy, it just never got into that rhythm. Um, And, you know, looking at where the Falcons were at the time, it just felt like a very risky decision to, to shell out that kind of money when there were so many other areas that needed to be addressed and so many areas that couldn't be addressed well enough. Um, man, I, I, I feel bad for Sam Baker. I feel bad for him. He gets a lot of flack, obviously, you know, the life of a pro athlete, you know, it, it comes with the territory when you have a career like his. Um, but, Man, I, I think as far as you know, we would, you would, you would agree that as far as you know, Dimitrov's signings over the course of his time with the Falcons, this is up there with this the, the worst. Yeah, this it's. I think if you're going to pick out the worst signings Dimitrov has ever made, this is one of them. I mean, Baker would only play two more years with the Falcons, 2013, where he played four games, yeah. um, and then 2014, where I think he played in five games total. Uh, in that. That, that right there, they, they ended up having to eat a large portion of that contract, a ton of dead money to move on from Sam Baker. Uh, so yeah, easily, bar none, the worst contract that uh, Dimitrov ever signed. And probably the one that I think when Falcons fans, if you asked them what was the worst deal he ever made, that's probably going to be the one that comes to mind first. Um, yeah, it is. It, I mean, when you look back at 2008 – it was hard not to feel just super optimistic about the long term when you looked at the way the Falcons addressed the draft. You know, the, you get those two cornerstone players right away in the first round. Um, man, it, it was just such a bummer. I had such high hopes for him in, in his career. Um, and at the time of the draft, I would say that, you know, you know moving up for him was a defensible move, viewed, mm-hmm. uh, viewed favorably overall at the time. Um, but the contract, there's just no way to justify it at this point. I, I don't think at there, there, it was very difficult to justify at the time. Hindsight only makes it look worse. You know, Demi- <laughs> and, uh, when, um, you know, the opportunities I've had to speak with Dimitrov when I, when I was uh, working for the team and, uh, we, you know, reflect on, you know, prior years, he, he's very upfront. He's very upfront about, you know, the mistake it was to shell out this kind of money, especially at this pivotal time in the franchise's uh, history, uh, when when money was um, and cap space wasn't really uh, wasn't it was beginning to tighten up. Yeah, really tight. um, man, it's just you know these are the situation is just a bummer. It's such a bummer. Um, yeah, and then you then you know it would have stung a lot less if you know, there was a situation kind of like, you know, when you look at like Ryan Schrader came, came in as a undrafted free agent and became a great tackle. Falcons just had, I mean, freaking Levine Toilolo was playing tackle, you know? I mean, <laughs> oh my God. Yep. Like, this yeah. was the infamous Toilolo at right tackle season. So it's just, um, you know, I think, you know, part of the, part of the reason why, why Sam Baker gets so much flack from the fans is that he underperformed and was constantly injured in a time when the offensive line was just struggling so much. Yeah, it's so yeah. hard not to look at. Oh, you had this former first round pick signed to a huge deal, and he's giving you nothing. Yep, easily. Uh, and I think you nailed it. That if, within the context of everything that happened, it just it was salt on the wound. Um, so with that, we have wrapped up 
free agency in the 2013 season for the Falcons. It's time to talk about this draft class, which actually may be the bright spot here, yes. uh, given some of the guys that they brought in. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker. I am joined by Andrew Hirsch. We are talking about the Thomas Dimitrov years, in particular the 2013 season, the season after the Falcons failed to make it to the Super Bowl after getting to the NFC Championship game. Roddy White was interfered with. You cannot convince me otherwise. Um, and we're going to talk about now the draft class because free agency was depressing, but the draft class is actually a little bit different. I think this draft may go down as one of the better ones under um, Thomas Dimitrov. So first round, you know, the Falcons knew that uh, they were going to be at the very back of the first round, having been into the NFC Championship game. It knocked them into the bottom four um, at back half of that first round. So they decided they needed to make a move. Um, And in that first round, they gave up their pick. To move up to number 22, uh, they gave up their first, their third, and their sixth round picks in this draft class. So a little bit of a haul, uh, not terrible, but still a, a, you know several picks to move up to that number 22 spot. And out of Washington, they drafted cornerback Desmond Trufant. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this player, but Andrew, I want to start with you. What do you think about this draft pick um, at the time and now with hindsight? Yeah, at the time, I didn't know a ton about Trufant. I was just very glad they addressed the cornerback position after you know the the veterans uh, were leaving, um, and you know the, I think I think Dimitrov approached this class exactly how he should have. He really he found a he found a guy in Trufant, and and then you know in the next round, Alford guys who made sense at those spots that filled huge needs for the team. Uh, you know, just to, to focus on Trufant, uh, you know, I think he, cornerback's a position you don't want to throw guys into the fire, but Trufant was such a, and is such a mentally strong, smart player that, you know, of course he had his growing pains, like every single cornerback in the history of the NFL does when they come in as a rookie. Um, but his football IQ, his demeanor, his mindset, uh, just the way he carried himself, I think made it made that transition very smooth, and I think that was something the Falcons definitely considered when they were looking at uh, who to take twenty second overall. Was knowing that you know replacing these veteran quarterbacks was not going to be easy. Uh, you know, Trufant and Alford were going to be probably downgrades for the following year, just given that they were rookies at a very tough position to adjust to. But Trufant was the guy you wanted there in terms of giving you that. F- giving you that uh, long-term skill, but also being able to fill in and do a commendable job as a rookie. Very, you know, you, there are so many high-end corners that, you know, have that high ceiling. 
you just you know going into the their rookie season you know they're just not mature yet to the point where you can trust them in a starting role you know that they've got the chance a good chance of getting there and being a pro bowl type player but there aren't that many guys like Trufant who you know you can plug in and feel somewhat comfortable with from day one and he 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 the falcons thought he was that guy and he turned out to be that guy yeah for many years um and he was a ridiculous athlete coming out incredibly fast uh, but as you said, it was his football IQ. I think that people didn't give him enough credit for. And um, if I remember right, I believe Pro Football Focus actually had him as their rookie of the year uh, in 2013 because he did have such a phenomenal season. Yeah. He would go on, I think, over the next several seasons to be one of the least targeted corners in the league. So he gained a reputation quickly that literally other quarterbacks were just looking the other direction. And that just tells you so much about his level of play. Um, just a phenomenal pick here. And I think if we look at, you know, some of the guys that went around him, I've, I've seen people argue, Oh, maybe the Falcons should have gone for Xavier Rhodes who went at 25 to Minnesota and Rhodes, you know, had, had a good run in Minnesota. Um, I think he is sort of, he and true font, their, their career trajectories have been very similar you know, they started off really well, but both have sort of fallen off as, as they've gotten older. Um, interesting, uh, DeAndre Hopkins was drafted in, uh, in uh, this first round at number 27 by Houston. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I look back, I feel like the true font pick was a fantastic one because there really weren't a ton of great players um, in this first round. And the, the Falcons got a corner that was a true for several years, you know, a, a true corner that would shut down half of the field. Um, and that, that is very difficult to come by in the NFL. Um, all right. Second round, uh, out of Southwestern Louisiana, I think the Falcons stunned everybody when they double dipped and they went with Robert Alford cornerback out of Southern Southwestern Louisiana. Um, obviously we talked about the fact that Brent Grimes, um, was gone. Um, Dante Robinson was gone, but I think a lot of people were shocked to see the Falcons just immediately double dip on uh, this position in the draft. Um, And obviously Alford was also another player that came in with tremendous upside, tremendous physical abilities. Um, And I, I would argue he also had a very good career here in Atlanta, including of course the, uh, the play, none of us will ever forget the, the pick six of Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Um, so, Andrew, tell me your thoughts on Robert Alford and really sort of your impressions at the, of the time of the Falcons going twice for the cornerback position. Yeah, I really wanted it. You know, at the nope. time, I, I, I can't remember who, who exactly I was I was looking at um, on the board, but, uh, you know, I was not upset with the Alford pick. I think, you know, he was, I don't want to use the word project, but he was a little more raw than, than true font. Um and you just kind of knew that if you're going to throw him into the fire, there was going to be some big plays. There were going to be some big penalties. And there certainly were, uh, with, especially in the earlier part of his career. But you you had to love the upside, right? I mean, Alford was such an explosive athlete, a playmaker, um, which Trufant was not. Was not a big, when, he, when you think about uh, you know creating turnovers, Trufant did not have the best hands in the NFL. Um, whereas Robert Alford was the kind of guy who, yeah, he'd give up more big plays certainly than, than Trufant would be. He'd also create more big plays. Um, and when you consider the need at the position at the time, it made, it made a lot of sense. I think you just had to trust that you had the right coaches on the staff to coach someone like Alford up. I, I feel like Trufant was more of a player 
and this is just you know my conjecture, but I felt like Trufant was more of the kind of player you could feel comfortable plugging in and kind of taking the initiative and being comfortable with the transition from the NFL, um, you know, just based on his own football IQ and just and just the the player he was. Whereas Alford kind of felt like that he 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 really would need that coaching, um, and I think the Falcons, when you look at you know, especially when Dan Quinn brought you know his staff in. Um, you started to see, you know, that was also when Alford was, you know, becoming a bit more of a veteran. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, being there in 2015, you you got a sense that the improved coaching made a big difference on yeah. Alford. Um, and I think the style of play that Quinn brought fit Alford's game a lot better than Mike Nolan's defense. Um, you know, at the time, again, really, really wanted a uh, you know, defensive end but was not upset at all with the, with the Alford pick. I think it was a great investment uh, for the team. You know, he he's he's a guy that gets a lot of flack too from the organiz- you know, from fans. I think especially when you look at the the big penalties that that he would give up. Uh, the yeah. <laughs> but I think when you look at his career overall and look at where he was drafted and what he brought to the team uh, as a number two corner, I mean, you, these two guys gave you what you what you expected from them, right? When when they, when they were drafting, you know, Trufant was a legit number one corner for a long time, and Alford was you know a bit uh, less reliable, but a playmaking number two corner. They they were two tr- tremendous picks, I think. Yeah, uh, I think the the picks made sense. Um, I think what maybe hurts for some Falcons fans uh, is some of the guys that came after Alford. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, Travis Kelsey went at the top of the third round. Uh, so, you know, just several picks later, uh, Larry Warford, you know, a guard out of Detroit who had a decent career. Uh, uh, Tyron Matthew. Um, yes. Let's see here. Uh, Mike Glennon. So we could have fixed our quarterback problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Teron Armstead, left tackle for the Saints, right. uh, came out in the third round. So, but, you know, that's always hindsight. And I, I, I do feel like for what he gave the Falcons, especially out of a second-round pick, Alfred was a good player. And I feel like that pick panned out, ultimately. Um, so I, I'm not going to fault it too much. Uh, again, when you get two starting corners in the same draft class, and, and two starting corners that both made it to a second contract, yeah, that is, that's pretty significant. Um, all right. Falcons did not have that third round pick because they invested that to move up to get true font uh, in the fourth round out of Clemson violent hands uh, <laughs> defensive end Malachi Goodman. Uh, he, <laughs> he was a guy that had like the physical um, stature to look like a, an NFL player. And again, you know, fourth round, I think now you're beginning to dip into that territory of developmental guys, guys that you hope will eventually become rotational players, um, maybe develop into starters over the long term. Um, and I feel like Goodman sort of fit that billing. Uh, he was a, a decent run stopper, never did much as a, a pass rusher for the team. Uh, but again, this is a fourth round pick. I, I, I don't want to uh, overemphasize that, but you know, yeah. given where we got him, it, it it doesn't feel like it's too much to say that he may have lived up to it. But what are your thoughts on Goodman and uh, the the sense of grabbing a defensive end at this point in the draft class? Yeah, well, I mean, I was glad they addressed the position. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I think Goodman turned out to be a bit of a paper tiger where, like you said, like he looked the part. 
Um, but when it came to actually performing on the field, it just never really worked out for him. Um, you know, he's Clemson defensive ends, man. Um, but, you know, at the time I was not upset with the pick. I think, you know, you look at his, um, I think the way that he performed at the combine, if I recall correctly, you know, he, he definitely turned some heads. I think that he was somebody who came into the wrong defense. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to be one of those overly negative bombastic uh, podcast guests, but I just have a lot of feelings about Mike Nolan and his team <laughs> and how he operated defense. And just, I'm still blown, honestly blown away that he's still employed, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, you know, with a guy like Goodman, you know, you think uh, if he, if he was drafted in, in 2015 and he began his development under Dan Quinn, I wonder if things would have turned out different for him. Yeah. Um, he, that is a great point. And it does feel like Mike Nolan may have been possibly the worst coach to come into the NFL under with the, uh, amoeba defense, which is really just a polite way of saying, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, (laughs) all right. Also in the fourth round, I believe this was a, a comp pick for the Falcons, um, out of Stanford, tight end Levine Toilolo. And uh, I will say this, one of my first times going to training camp, being on the field with the players, um, standing next to Toilolo made me question myself as a man. Yeah. He was he was an absolute giant. I think he was listed as six foot eight, and it actually felt like that was not even tall enough. <laughs> he felt more like seven foot, seven foot one. Um, and maybe it's just the fact that I'm short in stature. But uh, what were your thoughts on Toy Lolo? Who it, it, to this point, let's be clear, the Falcons had not spent much draft capital at all at tight end, even though they knew Tony Gonzalez was going to retire uh, in the very, very near future. So in many ways, this was the pick, if you will, to replace uh, Tony Tony G for the long term. So, what are your thoughts about Tololo and how that pick panned out? Yeah, well, you look at, at the time. You know, he's got that frame. He comes from tight end U, otherwise known yeah. as Stanford, um, and he gets to learn for a year under the you know arguably the greatest tight end to ever play the game. I think it just made a lot of sense at the time, especially given it was you know late in the fourth round. Um, that is, that's kind of what a late fourth round pick is for, right? You still get the guy who has shown that skill, who has the, has the builds, who is going to be a bit of a project, but comes into a situation where he has a great chance to learn, um, you know, working with a great quarterback and learning from a future hall of famer and Tony Gonzalez. I think looking at the way Levine Toilolo's career panned out, obviously it didn't go the way that, um, everyone hoped, but I will say the way that he adjusted his role in 2015 and 2016 under the new coaching staff, um, becoming that blocker, really growing as a, as a, you know, more, and I don't want to throw this word around too much, but gritty tight end. Um, (laughs) You know, he did not become that huge red zone threat that you hoped given that he was about seven foot seven. Um, (laughs) He really, he put in the work to fit into Shanahan's scheme and he, and he became, especially during that Super Bowl run, he became a valuable member of that offense. Yeah. Um, I think when you look at when you look through the tape of especially you know Devontae's long runs and you look at that outside zone scheme and the way that he was able to perform within it, that was uh, you know he had to shift his career around. He had to you know it was probably a humbling experience to be Tony Gonzalez's successor and then you know 
turn out to not be anywhere close to a you know top tier tight end. Um, he did a very commendable job, you know, carving out an important role on that roster, even though he didn't reach the potential that you know a lot of us hoped he would. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, again, fourth round pick. Uh, I still feel like it was a, it, the the pick made sense, as you mentioned. He came out of a, a university that had just put Zach Ertz into the NFL a few years before, mm-hmm. so there was reason to think that maybe you know the coaching there had prepared him better for the NFL than some other places had. Um, obviously, being in the same draft class as Travis Kelsey didn't help him, no. uh, but again, for what he ultimately ended up doing, he didn't get to a second contract with the Falcons. Um, but I feel like he, it wasn't a complete waste. He, he, he was able to contribute, even if not at a, a really high level consistently. All right, fifth-round pick out of Texas Christian, defensive end slash outside linebacker Stansley Maponga. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. this was a bad story. Um, I think there was a lot of hope for him uh, being able to come in and maybe develop into something. Obviously, his time with the Falcons came to an abrupt halt. Um, I believe that was with the animal cruelty charges and they moved on very quickly from him. Um, so your thoughts on Punga in that fifth round pick, man. Uh, I mean, there was the, the team had no choice uh, yeah. of any organization in, in sports around the world. There was the Falcons were the one that had really, uh, there was, they, they were, they had only one option. Um, you know, we never, we never got a chance to really, see what he had. Um, he, he got decent playing time those first few years, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I think he was a situation where, you know, very raw player as it was. And um, also just like, you know, Malachi Goodman coming into a suboptimal situation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the time, considering where the Falcons were at defensive end, thinking, you know, what I what where my mind was at the at the time of the draft, uh, if you're going to take a, a project, uh, you know, with a you know potentially high ceiling, but also you know, a, you know, you're not going to necessarily think that there's a great chance he's going to pan out. And that's the position you wanted to go for there. Um, you really wanted to get a uh, raw, potentially talented player at the defensive end position, given where the Falcons were at with John Abraham leaving with Umanora being on the older side. Um, but what can you say? I mean, there was just nothing the team could do. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, all right, we'll move on from Mapanga real quickly. The seventh round for the Falcons. Uh, they actually had three seventh round picks. Um, they took uh, out of South Florida safety Kamal Ishmael. Uh, out of Notre Dame, safety Zeke Mata, and quarterback out of Duke, Sean Renfrey. Uh, interestingly, Renfrey stuck around for a while, um, even though he was mo- mainly uh, uh, on the practice squad, and, and I don't think he ever really cracked the roster. Ishmael turned out to be a fantastic seventh rounder. Um, yeah. Stayed around for several years, got to you know some additional contracts. Um, even played linebacker for a time under Dan Quinn. So, you know, he, he carved out a nice role for himself, both on special teams and including as a starter, both at strong safety and at linebacker. Um, so what are your thoughts on these picks that wrap up the seventh round for the Falcons? Yeah, I'll start with Zeke, obviously, just given what happened in his career with the injury. Um, just really unfortunate. He was a guy that I had high hopes for. 
Um, and I think especially yeah. when you consider that he, um, man, I really, I, I just remember feeling really good about him coming out of college. Um, I liked, I liked his tape. I remember um, seeing some video breakdowns of him after the draft. Um, and you kind of knew he was a guy you could, you could potentially stash, have as a special teams ace for a while and hopefully, you know, develop into a, a solid, uh, if not starter, then a reliable backup who can rotate in. But, you know, of course there was the, the major injury that derailed his career. And, um, you know, at that, it, that whole situation became such a mess, right? Uh, with not just the injury itself, but also the the lawsuit and everything that transpired there. So it's just another situation. It's just such a shame of how it how it turned out. Um, yeah, you know, Renfrey. Uh, that's he kind of had the career you'd think you'd get out of a seventh round quarterback, right? Right. <laughs> not a whole lot. To, he was, yeah, not a whole lot to say about him. Uh, but you know, he he stuck around. He obviously. Um, you know, coming from Duke, I'm sure he he had you know some things to offer from the mental side of the game. Um, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on Sean Remphy, to be honest, but I I do have a lot of thoughts <laughs> on Paul Ishmael, one of my favorite Falcons from this era. Another guy, kind of like Toy Lolo, who just did whatever he needed to carve out a role. Uh, real special teams ace. Um, when you consider that a guy with his build was able to be a force at linebacker. Yeah, that was something that uh, I mean, maybe maybe we talked about a bit at the time, but I think, you know, it, he, he deserved a little bit more attention than he did the way that he was able to step in with that with the body that he had and not just be a linebacker in the sense that, you know, you look at Deion Jones, he doesn't have the, the frame of a, of a typical linebacker, but he doesn't play that game. Right. He doesn't play that hard nosed, um, you know, uh old school football and he's the he's the speed uh he's he's got the you know sideline to sideline speed but yep Kamal Ishmael just puts his helmet down and he just knocks you out and uh you just got to respect the the physicality that he brought to the team uh you just kind of knew that when Dan Quinn took over and preached the fast and physical uh you know mentality I just it just felt like Ishmael was in the right situation there. I mean, yes. Ish just brought that raw physicality to the you know to the defense, the special teams. He was a vers- versatile player, uh, brought a lot of energy to the room. Um, and man, how could you not love Ishmael? I mean, he was just such a. Such, I mean, you look at seventh round picks. I mean, what more could you ever want? Yeah, exactly. Most of these guys uh, just completely flame out of the league uh, after a year or two, and um, they got a player that stuck around for you know I think actually a couple additional contracts where you know he got some one year yeah. deals and um, you know was actually a contributor on special teams uh, as a as a pinch you know pinch uh, hitter as a starter at safety and at linebacker uh, really just uh, high quality for a seventh round pick. I do want to highlight some of the undrafted free agents from this class because I think this will help the case for Dimitrov in 2013. Obviously, the 2012 draft class was probably his worst ever. Mm-hmm. 2013, I think, made up for some of it because some of the undrafted free agents that he signed, um, linebacker Joplo Bartu, who yeah. you know played for a couple of years, um, linebacker Paul Warlow, um, there's a name uh, that uh, I would get you know, a word grid around. 
Yeah, we're talking about so much grit you could sand, uh, you could sand your knives with it. Um, and finally, arguably his best free agent signing, maybe ever. Ryan Schrader out of Valdosta State came out in 2013, and, and he was able to pick him up. And obviously, Schrader turned into a Pro Bowl uh, right tackle uh, in his time with the Falcons. So, um, obviously, you know, did a lot of good work. I think in this draft class uh, overall, and in free agency, which still counts. You know, that that is a credit to the organization, uh, to the the guys that they have scouting these players. Who you know, the minute the draft ends. They are on the phones and they're calling agents and they're saying, hey, your guy that didn't get drafted, bring him in. We'll, we want him in camp. Um, and they brought in those three guys and uh, all of which uh, contributed uh, over the next several years for the Falcons. So, uh, you know, big win, uh, especially with Schrader, who I think was yeah. arguably one of the best free agents they, they ever picked up on the team. Um, all right. With that said, we've talked about free agency, uh, the disaster of the Sam Baker contract, letting go of John Abraham. Uh, we've talked about uh, the draft class. What are your overall thoughts on what Dimitrov did in this 2013 season? Yeah, you know, he, he was put in a, in a bit of a tough spot, and it's very easy to look back and feel like there were better ways to go about it. I think when you the, the one area that I wish was given more attention was defensive end. Yeah. I think yep. I would like to see more veterans brought in, even if, you know, um, even vet minimums, just guys who, um, could, could fill into the rotation there. I think the way the offensive line was handled, uh, was not fantastic. Um, and you look at the way you look at the way the season played out. I mean, it was, I think one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest reason why the team faltered was just the lines were disasters on both Mm -hmm. sides of the ball. And, uh, I don't think anyone anticipated the situation in the, in the trenches to be as bad as it was. But when you look at who you lost, you know you lost a lot of strong veteran players in the trenches, yeah. and you, know, you lost a lot. Of, you lost a lot of talent at cornerback, and they addressed that. Um, but man, there, you know, I would have liked to see another center brought in. Uh, I'd like to see another edge brought in, you know, to fill into the rotation. Um, there are a lot of great positives from this from this offseason from Dimitrov, and there are a lot of huge negatives too. Uh, yeah. you know, the draft, fantastic. The Sam Baker contract, worst move that Dimitrov ever made. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> high variance season. Yeah, and very key positions that were either not addressed well enough or were addressed poorly. Um you look yeah. especially at left tackle at at center. At defensive end, and yeah, I think over. I mean, it's it's very hard for me. I was thinking about this earlier as a, I was getting ready to think about like a grade that I would give Dimitrov. I'm having a really hard time nailing down a grade because it's just so all over the place. Mm-hmm. Moves like this was there was so much to like and so much to dislike. Um, but I'd be curious to know if you have if you have any like letter grade you would give or just an overall assessment. I I'm, I'm with you. I did the same thing preparing for this. And as I went through all these moves, went through the draft class, the free agents, I looked at it. I was like, Oh my God, it was literally, it's that kid in school that gets, you know, he, his first test is like a 15 out of a hundred. And then he gets a one Oh five with all the extra credit. You're like, what in the hell? 
Like, who is this kid? Um, you know, and, and you would say, okay, it averages out to a C, but that doesn't feel right. It's no. just the variance is too wide. It's yeah. not, this is not a kid that normally, it's not like a D and a B. This lit- it was literally like an F, the worst F you could get. And then, you know, some A's in there. And it, that kind of variance, I think, makes it really difficult. I mean, it technically averages out to a C, but that doesn't feel, I don't know about you, it, it doesn't feel right to me. I feel like it's it's almost like he's it's a Jekyll and Hyde. He was both. He was both awful yeah. um, with what he did with Sam Baker, but then also very shrewd with what he did in the draft. And I think uh, even and maybe this is the approach we take. I don't think you can give this year a leather grade. I think you have to go with that. It was exactly what we said. It was a Jekyll and Hyde. It was high variance. It was terrible, terrible moves um, followed up by really, really solid ones and. Uh, that to me is what that that is the 2013 season for for Thomas Dimitrov. Yeah, I would I would say, you know, as I think about this, and my view could change tomorrow, but I feel like it's skewed <laughs> more negative given the context. So if the Falcons were coming off the 2012 season, if they really struggled, um, you know, some of these moves would have made a little bit more sense to me, or or I guess the general general approach would have made a little bit more sense to me. Um, but when you come and one missed pass interference potentially away from, you know, being right there to, you know, clinch a, uh, your spot at the Super Bowl and you just mm-hmm. don't address the trenches the way that you need to. Um, that for me, I think might be what pushes me over to saying that overall it was a negative grade. Uh, just given the context of, you know, the Falcon, you know, obviously we're expected to contend for the Super Bowl. They were a favorite coming into the season. Yeah. But it was just so apparent from the very first game that there was something horribly wrong on both sides of the ball on, uh, on the line. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I I would maybe be a little bit more kind here with my overall assessment if Sam Baker had been healthy and then experienced his injury woes after the big contract. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, that's what kind of put, you know, you... He Dimitrov knew he had to address the lines and he addressed the most important position when you're th- thinking about protecting your franchise quarterback. Um, but it was a move that did not look good at the time. Um, and it did, does, it looks far worse now. Uh, so for me, that would push me, you know, I, man, it's hard. It's hard. To, it's, it's, I can't, I can't really nail down my overall feelings here. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think the Sam Baker contract is what pushes me a little bit towards negative. I, I think what you highlighted is probably the most important point here. And it was it, ultimately the most damning thing really about Dimitrov's entire time in Atlanta was his inability to address the trenches properly. And uh, that goes for both sides of the ball. You know, it's funny. We're just now getting to the point where we have a relatively solid offensive line, even though at this point it still has gaps in it. it you know, it, we're here eight years later and we're still talking about gaps on the offensive line. Right. Um, but the defensive line really from the time that John Abraham left has never recovered. It's never gotten back to being even a, a just a mediocre pass rush. It's been awful since he's been gone. Lord knows so, they've, tried. <laughs> they've tried. They, they have tried. Yes. And uh, exactly. And, and maybe that's even more damning is that it, yeah. even amidst those efforts, those first round picks of a Vic Beasley, of a, of a Tack McKinley, I think you can, sort of rewind the clock all the way back to this 2013 season 
and say this is where really the collapse of the trenches started for the Falcons franchise. And this was the birth of that. So, you know, maybe in that light, yeah, it would be hard to see this draft, this class overall as, as being a positive. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I would label this as an overall negative for Dimitrov, even though he did make some good moves and sign some key players that would contribute for a long period of time. So Andrew, Thank you again so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, this has been fun. We're going to bring you back for some additional um, uh, episodes here in the future if you're willing to do it. But why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on? Sure. You, uh, I guess you can find me on Twitter at just Andrew Hirsch, my name. Um, and obviously would love to come back anytime. Uh, DW, you know how I feel about you as a, as a friend, as a yeah. man. Um, I, I miss you. Uh, it's been tough to be away from you guys in Atlanta for so long. I'm um, up in Boston now and Boston area in Cambridge. Uh, and with COVID, you know, I, I had a lot of plans to get down and see you guys and uh, catch some games and, and, and hang out, uh, had to nix those. But next year we'll do, we'll, uh, we'll continue these conversations. We'll hundred percent. We'll hopefully continue these conversations uh, again soon online, but definitely continue them in person, maybe with a bottle of tequila <laughs> uh, pass back and forth between us when we don't have to worry about giving each other you know deadly viruses uh, hopefully enjoy um a, a new era of falcons football together that will be uh a bright spot in our lives and not a source of agony <laughs> <laughs> oh man you said it perfectly buddy i miss you too uh can't wait until this is past us and we can uh, get back together and finish a, a bottle of 15 year whiskey in one night. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> um, your, your friends just don't have an appreciation for good scotch. That's, I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> all right. And I've grown. <laughs> I haven't. So I'm- it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll get the tequila and vodka as well. Um, all right, guys, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Falcoholic DW updates on this podcast at Falcoholic pod. And of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Andrew Hirsch, this is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. Talk with you next time.